Hi, how's it going? I'm your host, Malachi Greb, and also owner CEO of Elite Automation. Make sure you hit the subscribe button if you're interested in any automation related content, any manufacturing related content. Uh, we're talking about, you know, where where's automation going? Where's manufacturing going? The different things that we're seeing as we go into many different uh, manufacturing facilities. We're getting, you know, a wide exposure to, to the amount of manufacturers that are out there in the world um, and, and from all different types. So we get to experience uh, a huge amount of what's actually going on behind the scenes in manufacturing. So make sure you hit that subscribe button, the notification bell, all the things that all the influencers talk about. Uh, yeah, so we have a, a special guest today, Kutai. How's it going? Me, It's great to be here on the show. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. Glad to have you. So I guess if you wouldn't mind, just go ahead and start off by by telling people what you have going on in your career and what and, uh, what you have cooking up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so maybe I'll start off with a, a brief introduction of myself. So I'm um, and Teresa. I'm a developer advocate at HiveMQ, and I'm also a founder of Industry 4.0 TV. So at HiveMQ, basically what I do is I, I create content around uh, industrial IoT to help uh, solution architects, automation engineers, and uh, developers to adopt uh, industrial IoT solutions, uh, particularly using MQTT and uh, yeah, things like SparkPlug. And then on my uh, channel, I, I have quite a podcast and I also do tutorials on industrial IoT, uh, talking about protocols, smart manufacturing, and all the likes. And yeah, so it's really interested, uh, interesting for me to be here on this show today to kind of like talk about uh, my journey uh, in the manufacturing space. So really looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. And especially too, you're, you're in a, a very technical uh, field and, and uh, you know, a lot of people probably don't even really know what MQTT is. So if you wouldn't mind, kind of give the audience like a brief description of what MQTT is and also what uh, Internet of Things are. Okay, yeah, so, um, I mean, there's uh, a lot of uh, definitions of IoT out there, so I would, I would not try and, and, and come up with a formal definition of it, but essentially what it is, is, uh, is the fact that, I mean, up until uh, in the um, early 2000s or so, we only had uh, humans or human beings being the ones that are actually able to connect to the internet and share information and interact. But then now with the advancement of technologies, uh, objects are now able to independently connect over the internet and share information. And, and, and that uh, uh, scenario has kind of like necessitated a lot of use cases with things uh, such as home automation, uh, things like um, uh, uh, industrial IoT and all the uh, uh, stuff that you mostly hear about uh, around uh, wearables and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's, it's two different uh, sectors that are currently uh, uh experiencing this uh, uh explosion of iot so there's the commercial side of it which is just like iot which is where things like home automation falls into and then there's the industrial iot which is more in the manufacturing sector so this is where this uh, idea of connecting objects and devices uh, over the internet to exchange information with backend uh, applications such as advanced analytics like ai this is where this really has like a um, a huge economic incentive, like really uh, the, 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 even the potential to transform an entire uh, nation's industrial uh, base, right? Just by, by the sheer amount of uh, 
of productivity that could be uh, uh, derived out of connecting these uh, systems. So central to that uh, movement of data between applications, uh, people, uh, machines, uh, PLCs, robotics, and so on, is, is the ability to change, to exchange information in a seamless and, and, and open and uh, standardized way. So this is where things like MQTT comes into the picture. So MQTT basically is a communication protocol that allows that interchange of information between uh, devices and systems uh, to create what we call uh, the Internet of Things. And to maybe paint a picture for some of you who might be familiar with uh, uh, legacy protocols uh, like HTTP, which uh, currently dominate even uh, today's uh, Internet communication. So this is where uh, when you actually uh, communicating or exchanging information between two uh, parties using uh, uh, HTTP, you have got this direct connection between these two participants. So they can only exchange information when they are like coupled in space and time, meaning that they need to know each other's location in terms of IP address. And also they need to have that exchange of information happening synchronously, right? So the idea of MQTT is to decouple that and put a broker in the middle, kind of like a mediator, to, to act as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a medium for, for coordinating exchange of information uh, among all these participants without them having to establish direct connection. So that obviously has advantages that it allows you to like, create a scalable system where you can keep on adding more and more devices without worrying about the, uh, the network resources or computer uh, processing resources and things like that. So in a nutshell, that's what uh, IoT, uh, industrial IoT and MQT is all about. That's awesome. And, and uh, honestly, it's like, it's the future of, of automation. It's the future of manufacturing. It's the future of our world, right? I think that over the course of probably the next five years, we'll see more of the home technologies getting integrated more into manufacturing. Um, it's, it's something that we're, we're kind of interested in doing at some point in time where we're you know, taking some of the other smart products that are that may be used on a consumer basis, and how do we couple those with with manufacturing, uh, Internet of Things, and robotics, and and things along those lines? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what I, I when I speak to uh, most system integrators, because I mean, with as with any technologies, you kind of get resistance, like from from some professionals who say, okay, we're just gonna continue doing it the way that we've always been doing it. And, or maybe they just say, this is just buzzwords. This is, we've had this before. And what I always say that this is different because now, as you, as you alluded to, we've got this new set of tools that uh, a lot of um, professionals who are not in industrial automation are already familiar with things coming from the home, mm -hmm. uh, internet, your routers, your gateways, your low code programming platforms. You now have all of these moving into the industrial space. And with it, that brings a new breed of system integrators, people who would otherwise have not even entertained the thought of working in industrial space, but because there's these tools that they are now familiar with, that they're excited about, that will drive a lot of talent, a lot of uh, 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 system integrators into that space. And obviously that becomes competition. So it's really uh, imperative that you, as a system integrator, you kind of like start educating yourself around all these tools, all these technologies that are being uh, um, introduced into this space. So it's, it's really interesting to see all of this unfolding. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's something that, that companies have to adapt to. You know, it's like 
it's it may have been around for like the past 20 years but really it's like the past five years that that really there's a lot of a lot more smart devices that are that are on the market you can get a lot more smart sensors that give you a lot more data like these things have really kind of exploded over the past five years with with the amount of devices that are that are available and the amount of data you can get from those devices yes 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 absolutely and and really the drivers here are the fact that uh, the manufacturers like if you are a system integrator or you are working in the industrial automation space really the people that you are serving are the manufacturers who really want to uh, uh, get an economic benefit out of whatever manufacturing uh, activity or operations they are conducting and they, there is going to be a lot of um, manufacturing companies that are going to adopt this technology and gain a competitive advantage over the ones that are still lagging behind and it's going to become mm-hmm. clear in a few years time who is leading and who's lagging and then that also in a way creates a, a, an opportunity for you as an automation engineer to kind of like be in the driving seat whether you are working in-house within a manufacturing uh, uh, company or you're working for a system integrator to really drive the change and because there's risk there that you're going to obviously to be uh, left out because there's a real opportunity uh, to, to, to gain some uh, economic benefit out of uh, industrial IIT, particularly for manufacturing companies. Yeah, absolutely. What what was your first uh, like taste or flavor of, of Internet of Things? Where did it start for you? Yeah, so, well, for me, I, 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 I it's it's a it's a very interesting story. So I, I've got a, a background in system integration. So uh, back in South Africa. So I'm currently based in Germany right now. But before I moved over, I was based in South Africa and I was doing some system integration stuff, working with um, things like Opto22. That was my primary um, uh, 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 hardware that I was using for uh, automating plants. And so I was basically like called in to automate a, a, a plant, like just uh, they used to do things manually, just going to the silos and using like a mallet just to tap it and see how how much of the stuff is left in there. So all they needed to do was just to kind of like monitor that and see. But they still, uh, while we were kind of like working with that uh, uh, system, I used to see a lot of these operators just standing around and then waiting. And then when I spoke to them, they would tell me that no, we're waiting for a, a truck, right? So a truck to deliver the supplies, and mm. it was really strange to me that they would down their tools for like about four hours just waiting for that delivery. And the reason why mm. was because they, 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 the way that they could order stuff was not automated. They'd wait for the supervisor yeah. to come and check and see. Oh, now we're, we're sitting at twenty percent, and then they go and make a phone call, they order, and then it so happened that at times. Those, they, they had no trucks at the depot. They had to wait for a truck that had gone out to come back and then do that uh, 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 feeling. So now this is where really for me, I got the first opportunity to really apply Internet of Things there because this is where we kind of like propose that we could have a connected system that uh, does automatic calculation and prediction of exactly when uh, 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 some material will be needed to prevent that downtime and have that information mm-hmm automatically relate to the suppliers to have their own dashboard where they can see what's going on and then they can plan their day around that. So that ability to connect, to collect information and share it uh, between a supplier and a manufacturer and essentially cut out that uh, downtime to zero was like really yeah. for me a, a very interesting and first time that I really applied 
internet of things before that it was really kind of like a, a hobby thing like typically home automation which was really fascinating for me obviously to see things go on and off just using your mobile phone or even when you're at your home you get a notification that this and this is going on and stuff like that so those basically uh, were the first uh, my first experience with internet of things that really uh, fascinated me yeah i think it's a great great first experience that you had there because it's kind of one of like the most rudimentary like internet of things and and how it can like very easily easily and like practically be used in in a real world scenario where it immediately helps your process because uh, there's definitely there's definitely a whole side of internet of things that's like more data analytics it's more like predictive things and and it gets it gets pretty deep out there right but there's some things that are like right here right now that if you add it it's gonna eliminate a ton of downtime in your processes yeah exactly i mean that's totally correct i mean and also it speaks to uh the way that uh internet industrial internet of things is being marketed which kind of like puts a, a maybe a bad name uh of industrial iot because uh, that's what i also talked to uh with a, a lot of system interactors that it's very critical for you to identify a pain point and not just sell iot just for the sake of selling it right but to really identify and know what manufacturers are currently struggling with and use internet thing as a tool to solve that specific problem you start from there because a lot of uh, uh integrators their approach is to kind of like create this uh, problem and then present iot as a solution of a problem that they do not know whether it's a real problem that exists but you could learn a lot by speaking to manufacturers and understanding what it is that they're actually struggling with and find opportunities where you could actually apply Internet of Things to solve those problems. So that's where really IoT has got the power to, to, to really transform the way that manufacturing is done. If, if you are focused on solving a specific problem, then just kind of saying, okay, we're just gonna collect this data, we're just gonna chuck it in the cloud and we'll see what happens. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it doesn't work that way. Right, right. Yeah, I think that there would be uh even more like encouragement on the internet of things if if there were more people who were just um targeting those kind of like lower hanging fruit and those those things that you can actionably collect the data on and then solve whatever the problem is yeah absolutely i totally agree totally agree so i'm kind of curious on your your transition from from south africa to europe uh, that's where you're at right now europe yes yes that's correct okay. yeah so it's uh, yeah so i mean so for me uh as i mentioned before i was um into system industrial system integration and then i i started obviously uh when i like before i got into uh industrial system integration i was into embedded systems design looking like working like a real low level programming microcontrollers and then i did a bit of software web uh, programming. So when I went into manufacturing, uh, well, for me, it really uh, struck me how there was still a lot of stuff that was being done manually, paper-based, uh, record keeping and all that kind of stuff. And that's really, for me, what really drove me to kind of like uh, try and investigate to find out what, I mean, I was sure that there could be a better way of doing this. And as I started to explore that, this is where really the idea of Internet of Things and all of this information about MQTT protocols 
uh, IoT started to uh, to show up, and that was back in 2012, 2013. And um, I started to learn more about industrial IoT, and one of the ways of learning was to create content and teach, right? So I started putting uh, a lot of content out there. Uh, first it was articles, and then I moved on to create a YouTube channel, and then I, I created a podcast and uh, started to create some videos. And um, so obviously this is not really a, a very... Uh, big community. It's a small community of ours. So this is where I kind of like uh, uh, came across uh, uh, Dominic, the CTO uh, of, of IFMQ, and we were connected for a while. He was a guest on my podcast once. And then from there, I then uh, moved on to to start to, start to create content uh, for IFMQ. Uh, before uh, I joined permanently, I actually created uh, content for them uh, as a freelancer. And then eventually I then uh, moved uh, to join Hive MQ permanently. This is when I made that uh, move uh, for, from South Africa to, uh, to Germany. And for me, it was really an interesting position and still is because uh, I see it really for me as a, a position that I really crafted for myself because I, I get to do what it is that I was already doing uh, independently, but now I'm doing it under uh, the umbrella of IFMQ because it's the things that I believe in and, and, and it's the technology that I believe in. I was already a, a huge uh, evangelist around MQTT and IIoT. So to get to do it under an umbrella of a company like IFMQ is something that I really uh, enjoy do, doing a, a lot. So the really interesting position for me. Yeah, I think that definitely as far as like being, being a content creator that a lot of times it, it can relieve like a lot of stress and you can like focus on like more of like just the creative side of things whenever you have like a, a bigger organization that can support, you know, your, your financial needs and, and allow you just to focus on the, the content creation part of things. Exactly. That's, that's really, really, really fundamental. And because a, a big part of, um, of content creation, as you would know, really involves uh, a lot of research, you know, trying out some things and see what works and kind of like, uh, uh, try to get a sense of what the community is, is is working on or what's new and what's out there. And that really uh, needs uh, demands of you to kind of like focus on that and not maybe really worry about other things like, you know, like your financial or, 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 or like maybe making sure that you've got something to keep the lights on and, and stuff like that. So being under the <laughs> umbrella of, of, a, of, a, of a company that allows you to focus on the creative uh, aspect of it really yeah. is something that is uh, beneficial uh, for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then you get into the point of like, you know, where you're allocating your your mental energy at. Like now you have like this dedicated time to allocate your mental energy to to like this one thing versus like, you know, maybe you have a nine to five job and, and you're doing PLC programming, but then you're also trying to make YouTube videos about PLC programming. At, in the evening time. So it's like two different minds that you have to have whenever uh, you're working on all these different things. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's totally uh, uh, correct. Because before then I was actually uh, working as a, uh, after I'd left my job as a, as a system integrator, I was working as a consultant in the IIoT space. And although content creation was still something that I considered to be like a, a, my primary promotion, I still, I, I, primary profession, I still needed to do something else, you know, just to keep that uh, cash flow going. So which kind of like yep. uh, at a huge chunk of my time, took a huge chunk of my time out of my day. So now it has allowed me to kind of like focus more on the research. 
So what has really changed a lot for me is um, the ability to not only communicate about what's out there, but to start to uh, contribute about how to make it better. You know, so I've got more time now to contribute about how to make it better. So there's a lot of uh, standards debate, as you as you uh, might be aware, a lot of um, debates around what do we use, what is best to use MQTT, is it OPC UA, what is the best tool for this and that. So there's never a, a, a clear answer there. So for me, what I'm really focused on mostly is to kind of like really contribute in that space to identify uh, uh, places where I could say this is where this is most suitable to use this particular protocol, and this is where this particular process, protocol is more uh, suitable to use, and also uh, actively participate in suggesting some edits to the standards community, committees, standards like Sparkplug uh, committees and OPC UA. So really for me, that's mostly the, uh, the focus now, being able to do a lot of research and also actively participate in driving the technology that is being created to solve uh, these problems in manufacturing. Yeah, absolutely. And it, yeah, it really gives you the ability to, to like become the expert in, in the thing, right? Like you said, you can, you can now spend your time to research and even people who work in something daily, like, yes, they're an expert in it, but they also, a lot of times don't have the ability to step back and then look at the entire like sector or the, or the, you know, segment of that sector. Um, you know, and so like, it really gives you now the time to like study that sector and, and, and I think study is huge, right? Like there's, there's some things that I'm doing within our company that like I'm studying particular things. I can't really say publicly, but I, I'm studying particular things in the industry, you know, and, um, these extra study times that I'm putting in towards, towards these things is, um, hugely valuable and, it, and it's like mind opening to, to like, what's really going on in the industry, like how much, you know, you know, uh, maybe how much of the industry is using a certain type of product or certain protocols or, you know, and, and then you can identify things like with, with this sector, as far as like, wow, there's this one product out here that's like much better than this other product, but this other product is the one that's like very, very widely used, you know, and then, and then maybe you can latch on to whatever that the actual bad, better product product is and, and start to, you know, cast that out to, to the community and, and really help promote that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I mean, especially in, in the industrial automation uh, space, there's, um, uh, this is where we see a lot of carriers that span like maybe 30 years of someone working with one particular product. So if someone is, is building uh, systems using a particular PLC or a particular software, and it's unlike IT, where you could have someone with a career, 30 year career, it's highly likely that they've touched a bit of everything, right? And mm -hmm. now that we've you, 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 you got this new uh, variety or uh, this new plethora uh, uh, of technologies coming into the industrial automation space, it's really key for you to kind of like step back, as you said, from your normal day to day and using that tool that you've been using for 20 years to try and understand what else is out there and that that kind of like gives you a perspective so that ability to be able to uh, step back and research talk to people who find out what others are using it gives you a different mm -hmm. perspective to such an extent that you might find an easier solution to some of the problems that you have been struggling with for a long time and even 
better ways of solving uh, issues that better than yeah. the way that you've been doing it. So it's really critical for you to step back and actually investigate other technologies and other tools. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it's like, say, for instance, like, especially with like the automation sector, you have like your robots and your PLCs that like, you know, especially with like PLCs, I feel like there's a lot of companies that they go with the PLC and they stick with that PLC brand and like, that's all they go with. So whenever, whenever there is something like new and emerging in the market, you know, if you're not looking to see, see this new technology that, that may just be much, much better. Uh, I don't want to like pick on Alan Bradley. So anybody yeah. from Alan Bradley is watching this, but you know, I've, I've been doing Alan Bradley programming for some time now and there's a lot of headaches within it. There's a lot of headaches that should not be there that should be made more simple. And, you know, even even with Alan Bradley being as costly of a, of a product as it is, I think there's things that they could even still increase the cost of it if they would just take away some of the headaches. You know, like yeah. there's a lot of a lot of things when it comes to like, you know, version control and like things that just it's like, why are we still dealing with this? You know, th these things should, should be uh, be much simpler at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. What are you kind of seeing for, for the future of your career? Yeah, so for me, uh, uh, it's really going to be more uh, of um, uh, content creation, uh, 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 mostly around uh, research, uh, more research around uh, industrial IoT is best, definitely what I see more for my career because I, I would like to believe that this is only the beginning of industrial IoT because there's so many companies out there that still haven't digitally transformed, that are still in what you'd call industry 3.0. So I think we're going to see a wave at some point of this uh, uh, massive change where companies are now, uh, because it's, I mean, there's a lot of companies who are going to look back and, and really wonder how they, they managed to, to, to even survive without really implementing these technologies, right? So it's going to become so commonplace. And for me, in my career, I'm kind of like preparing myself for that by really educating myself and researching about uh, around all these uh, technologies and also being in a position where I could better advise companies whenever they get to the position where they want to digitally transform. So that's kind of the future that I really uh, see for myself. Very nice. Very nice. What do you kind of see for like the Internet of Things and then becoming even more, let's say like, plug and play right so like one thing i also see that that's an issue in the sector is there's still so many things that have to be manually connected and, and when it comes to like like let's say first like plc when i say manually connected i mean manually connected through software um like let's say for instance like even with like plc and robot code like really at this point like there should be almost standards to the code right you shouldn't look inside of every robot and every plc and it's all programmed differently right it should almost be more of you know i don't want to say building block but there's just more structure to it because like the big thing is, is like whenever you go to the the internet of things it's like now you have to align all this data right because like whoever programmed on the plc side of things is, has their data however they have it right and then and then you're trying to take that to, to a database and if that database is not uh, in the same alignment, there's a lot of like manual work that has to go through that process. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I totally agree with you there. So, I mean, it's there's a lot of uh, uh, factors involved, you know, in, when it comes to industrial automation and, and, and standards. There's 
Uh, I think uh, the standards body, bodies are really doing the the manufacturers a disservice by not really being like genuine uh, towards the, 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 the solving the problem of interoperability and plug and play because it's not really an issue of technology. If you look at things like USB, USB has been around for a long time now. You can plug a USB on a Mac, on a, on a Windows, it will function pretty much the same way, right? There, yeah. there's, there's that abstraction. So it's not a matter of whether the technology is there or not. It's about the willingness to really adopt it and come and come together and agree on one thing and say, this is what we're doing. But there's a lot of interest, right? So as far as standards creation are concerned, which really kind of like creates this fragmentation in the, in the, in the ecosystem. And you can't really tell when uh, the, the, the standards bodies are come together or even the big companies are going to come together and say, okay, now enough is enough. Now we need to really put the manufacturers first. So let's uh, put aside all these other differences. And frankly, look, uh, have a, way, a different way of looking at it because right now it's really built around locking the customer in, right? That, that That's really the motivating factor around really keeping these standards closed to lock the customer in. It's because uh, we haven't really figured a way of really monetizing otherwise, right? So I think once that happens, as it has happened in other sectors like IT, I mean, Apple still sells uh, laptops. Uh, Dell still sells a lot of laptops, even though you could still use a, a USB on this and that. So they figured a way to monetize and, and, and really survive mm. without having to lock the, 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 mm. the, the customer in by providing added value. So once uh, vendors start to figure out a different business model, I think this is where we're going to see them let go and really allow these systems to really come and play nice together. And then this is where we're going yeah. to have a scenario where we could literally just plug a robot in and then everything is auto configured production cost because I, I don't think it's really a matter of technology advancement. The technology is already yeah, no. there. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think if, the, if, if definitely if like some major companies, like, you know, if it was like me personally, from what I see, it needs to be a PLC company because of they, you know, a lot of times they're like the brain of the operation could be a robot company that then comes out with like some type of PLC or something, or they could just even, even just, developing a software layer over top of any of these brands right like where where you can you know <clears throat> load in load in different program files that would automatically kind of give more connectivity um this is kind of into like the technical things but like you know whenever you plug whenever you plug in your your refrigerator your washer your dryer and, it, and it's a smart device now you just you you know you go onto the app you put in your wi-fi information you you add the device to your to your app and then all the things connect right you you know the you know the temperature of your thermostat you know you know all the controls are already there and, and mapped out um i really think it's kind of just a matter of, of like you said like they got to change the business model so they can find another way to monetize maybe they go to a subscription software based type of model that can then then they can provide these software packages and, and people can just pay on a monthly basis um Absolutely. But I, I do think I do think that's definitely the future. And it's something I keep in mind too, is like as an automation company, right? And, and then you have, you know, AI. Like 
at what point do we do we not program PLCs and robots anymore? How far away is that, and 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 what what do we need to do to be adaptive to that to that market? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, with AI uh, coming into the picture, it really also changes the 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 landscape uh, a lot, especially for for, for uh, automation uh, uh, companies, maybe automation providers specifically, uh, because really. Uh, a lot of things are going to uh, become a commodity, right? Even just the idea of programming PLC itself, right? That's going to be commoditized. And what, what's going to be more valuable is really understanding, uh, I think, domain expertise, like really understanding, because even right now, with uh, if you'd give manufacturers like maybe the same, let's say, for example, ChatGPT, they, they won't like leverage it uh, the same way, right? Because for you to really use uh, AI, you need to understand your domain more so that you could know which what questions to ask or how to prompt it or how to really apply it. So what's going to become more valuable is going to be that domain expertise and to know what parts are required to make this or what parts are required to manufacture this and understand how to put those together, how to bring them together. That overarching view of understanding the ecosystem, I think it's going to become much more valuable uh, than just like really doing programming and, and all that kind of stuff. And for manufacturers, it's also going to change really how they interact on a day-to-day -day, uh, basis with, with, with like their equipment. Uh, and I think things like audio interface, I think we're going to see that audio interface really move into the uh, uh, manufacturing space uh, sooner, quite soon, I think, than, than a lot of um, um, AI technologies, that ability to kind of like uh, generate voice commands or put some voice commands yeah. to say, okay, now I need to manufacture so much, so much of this, so much, so much product. And then the AI will just go in there and it knows how to speak to the MES system. It knows how to speak to the PLC. It knows how to speak to this and that. And then it knows also how to speak even to the consumer who has ordered that. Maybe they could actually ask the consumer in real time to say, now you didn't specify this specific thing. What would you need for this and that? Pretty much like a restaurant uh, ordering where you are, it's like a menu that yeah. they customize for you. So I think audio interface is something that I see really happening much, much sooner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, and especially too, I think that with not even exe just executives, managers, you know, to be able to say, hey, da 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 da, why is my line down? And be able to get a response back from that of some type of predicted reason why the line's down like it's pretty valuable exactly i mean not th that ability to not have to wait for like a week or a monthly dashboard to say okay this is what we did this week or this is what we did today i mean to your point the ability to just at any given moment just go in there as a, an executive yeah. say okay what's my oee what's happening what's happening here why why yeah. did we not meet our target today or why is this line lagging and get an answer instantly and be able to kind of like uh, 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 make some corrective decisions I think it's going to be very critical what do you what do you see for those who are looking to get into their into the a career in this in this industry what do you think are going to be some some key uh, skill sets? That they're going to need i think it's going to be a, a combination of um of a lot of skill sets right so 
I mean, automation, the understanding of automation technology is still, still is not going away, right? So you still need to understand because I see a lot of, I mean, a, a lot of challenges. Uh, speaking to someone uh, recently was saying, asking me, okay, like a seasoned software developer, right? Saying, why do you need to run software on this piece of hardware? I mean, can that not be done on a computer, right? So that actually kind of like shows you exactly that they, they don't really have an idea of what really goes on inside a factory. So that knowledge to understand what goes on inside a factory, PLC programming, all that technology is really still very important. And then, but it's not sufficient anymore to have that as, as, as a standalone skill to say, I'm a PLC programmer, that's it. To then understand IT because now you're going to see a lot of technologies like maybe, for example, containerization, understanding how to lay the infrastructure for IT, Docker, to understand how to deal with things like Docker. Maybe not things like Kubernetes because that's even a far much more advanced technique even for IT itself. But to understand IT infrastructure, to understand some low-code uh, tools, you know, like Node-RED, to understand a lot of IT and also going to the cloud to understand some tools in the cloud, cloud platforms, uh, how to, 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 to use uh, analytics, how to do all that kind of stuff. I think having that broad understanding end to end, this is what I would kind of like, so in IT, they've got the full stack. So this is like the full stack of, of, of IIT. I think this is really what uh, I would advise for people who are venturing into this space to really try and get a feel of the entire stack because without understanding one or the other, it's going to be really hard to to compete. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that actually just popped in my mind that I think kind of goes along with that is I think that things are going to become, especially if you talk like 20 years out, um, things are going to become much more like they are with uh, like a chat GPT, right? You're going to have to learn how to do like prompting things and, and not just learn how to do prompting things, but like, have that type of mindset to think about like, Hey, I have this device. I need this data. Like how, how do I interpret what's going on in the real world to take that data and get it back, you know, get it to the cloud. Right. But like, what does that mean? What are like, what, you know, what's the, the mathematics that we need to do on, on, on the data? What, what are all the things we need to do? before we send it up to the cloud and, and, and also like understanding some of that infrastructure of like how many sensory devices we're going to need, but, but really just being able to kind of have like a prompt type of mindset to ask those, those really intelligent questions to be able to find what actual data you need to look at to get the, re the result you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's totally correct. And it also speaks to the point that domain expertise is going to become even, I kind of like, like to think about it differently. So I see, I mean, with ChatGPT, a lot of people are now kind of like moving to more to the surface to say, okay, and I've got this tool, which means it's going to tell me everything. That's, I, I, I look at it differently. Now that you've got this tool, now it's, it's, it's more important for you to even go deeper into your domain expertise for you to understand. Yeah. All this, because if you've got no idea of all the sensory elements or because this, the, the physical world is still real, right? It's still there. You still yeah. need to, 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 to put atoms together to make a product. You still need to, to move stuff, to ship it. So that physical world is still out there. 
So you need to start from there to understand it first. This is what a sensory mechanism I need to use here, or this is what is being used here. And then when you move up to the higher level, like to chat GPT, you know precisely what to ask for or how to command it to do you or what sort of data you're looking for. Even as an executive, if you don't, if you have no clue of what how what a manufacturing operation consists of, what are you going to ask? Are you are you going to you need to be able to ask things like to understand? I need to see understand quality, and then I need you to, to compare yesterday quality with uh, what happened on such and such a day to be able to understand and ask it as if you're asking your employees, people who are really running your enterprise. So domain expertise is going to become even more important with ChatGPT. So those who understand the underlying uh, systems are the ones who are going to even uh, make uh, better use of uh, ChatGPT or AI as it were. What do you kind of, what do you suggest for people uh, do education wise to get into this type of career path? So it's um, education wise, it's, it's really, it's really kind of like tricky. So myself, I studied uh, uh, electronic uh, engineering and I, I think maybe I'm in a sweet spot as it were, but I don't have much knowledge about the mechanics of it. So maybe a, a, a program that really allows you to, I wouldn't say mechatronics because that also may be too focused on like the, that electronic and, me and mechanical interaction, but rather yeah. a program that allows you to get a feel of like uh, the mechanics, the electronics, the software and the connectivity aspect of it. I don't know mm -hmm. if there's maybe colleges that already offer that kind of program, but again, so it also takes us to the point to say, I don't think maybe uh, college education alone is sufficient now to really right. put you in the perfect position for you to be able to compete uh, in, in today's world. So you could get like a, any program that will give you that best baseline or best understanding. So that could be computer science, it could be electronic engineering, mm -hmm. or it could be chemical engineering or anything um, that gives you that underlying and then you can then uh, kind of like supplement that with a lot of uh, uh, courses that you can find online. There's nano degrees that you can find uh, online. So I think that's that's yeah. really the, the 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 form of education that I think is going to win in the 21st century. So it's not going to be more about just going to college, getting the degree, going to work. Yeah. That's it. It's going to be more of supplementing it with different forms of of uh, of knowledge because you're not going to get that program it's, it's it's actually even harder for universities to, to to keep up right to even right. kind of like structure that in a way that really makes you competitive enough so it's really up to you to upskill yeah. yourself yeah i mean definitely like my thoughts on on college is like really at this point like most of the things that you'd learn in college you could learn them much much more cost effectively much quicker and much more targeted through like courses that are just that are being sold by by individuals or, or some companies uh, that are selling just specific courses for things right now you know for somebody that's going through the the college degree path because you know they feel like they need to do it or want to do it just to do it um, I think a nice thing that people can do that that isn't really thought about enough but it is to utilize some of the electives that you get 
towards some things that are maybe not on your elective list. Like maybe you have this elective list of electives you can choose from, but a lot of times you can go to your admin and say, hey, like I'm actually interested in taking this computer science class instead of, I don't know, I'll just say home ec or something, just some random thing, right? Uh, Can I take this computer science class? Because I know if I take computer science, that's at least a little bit more related to like the like data. Yeah. Right. I'm going to maybe learn yeah. a little bit about data and how com- computers work and and how that that infrastructure is. And, you know, uh, I think it can be really valuable to, like, pick up that extra little nugget of some something else that's a little bit outside of like what your degree was. But it's targeted towards like what your overall uh, career path is is mapped out to be. Exactly. Totally agree. Kind of like working your way backwards, right, to be able to understand what it is that you want to do. And then try to see what are the pieces of, of knowledge that you need to get there. So I totally agree with you there. Do you have any any uh, last points of advice that you'd like to, to share with the community? Yeah, I mean, I just to kind of like reiterate that, you know, so, so sometimes I know that the, the idea of IIoT and smart manufacturing, digital transformation might come off as like too, uh, maybe, buzzwords or too pushy or too futuristic but i mean it's 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 there it's not going away so i mean both for for system integrators really uh, my advice is to really kind of like look at upskilling yourself and trying to understand all these technologies so that you can stay competitive even for manufacturers to really consider looking at what digital transformation or smart manufacturing iot uh, it doesn't matter what you, by what name you call it really, but that idea that you could really connect to your systems, get data, and then generate some insights and be able to act on that data could really transform how you operate your business. So I've, I've done it even at a much, much uh, 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 smaller scale, like for example, the example that I, I, I mentioned to you, just to see moving from like four hours per day of downtime to like zero hours per day of downtime that's something for a small batch uh, 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 manufacturing company to, to get that. So you could imagine for a company of a large scale, all the holes that they could fill just by really moving to digital transformation could really save tons, tons, tons of money and really put them at a very uh, uh, competitive edge. So, and for those coming out of college, it's um, manufacturing is changing. Right, it's no longer the manufacturing of, of way back where I know it was really not a, 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 a even myself. Like I, I've always been fascinated by robotics, robots, like in my in my early years. But I really didn't picture myself in a manufacturing wasn't a goal for me. But I was just fascinated by robots. So robots are what really brought me to manufacturing. But manufacturing environment itself didn't really uh, fascinate me that much. So. But I think it's changing now because at least all these tools, as we mentioned earlier, all these tools, because there's something more satisfying by, for example, using ChatGPT to move things in the physical space, in the real world, like giving commands yeah. and then seeing something. It's, it's different to just talking on your phone or, or on your computer and then getting feedback via text. But there's something more satisfying by commanding a robot using AI, and then you could literally yeah. see things moving. So I think that in itself will attract a lot of talent. And uh, my advice is for really uh, for people who are talented or looking to uh, move into AI, this op- opportunity to really apply your AI skills in manufacturing in a way that is far, far much more uh, satisfying than 
some frankly speaking ways that uh, companies like google ai uh, google facebook are using for things like advertising which sometimes is, is controversial and not really uh, something that i personally would find satisfying but to be able to move products to be able to move robots and manufacture something and really transform industry or really how uh, humanity uh, functions it's something that i think it's really exciting to be a part of so yeah, yeah absolutely yeah the technology for sure is gonna is gonna bring people to our to the industry and it's really what's gonna excite people and invigorate them uh like early on in my career i remember when i when i walked into my first like manufacturing facility that had like 100 plus robots i was just like it was like i walked into an amusement park yeah. i was like holy cow this is crazy you know and so you know like being able to people to be able to experience that that's like a selling point on its own and to get people fired up and excited about, uh, you know, coming to work every day Absolutely. And, to, Absolutely. and to choose a career in this field. But, um, yeah, where can people find you at? Yeah. So, um, um, on LinkedIn, uh, most of the time, uh, could Mandy Teresa. And then I'm also have got a YouTube channel industry TV and website. So this is basically where you could find me and all of my other contact details. This is where you'll find me. Awesome. Well, thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me, Malakai. It was such a great pleasure to, to be here today. Yeah, likewise. Likewise. Thank you very much. Thank you.